welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Okay, and welcome to episode 55 of the Office 365 Dev Podcast. Shouldn't this be like 55 and a half, I think? Yeah, well, what happened, Rich? So this is part two of us recording this for our, our listeners. Apparently, my uh, headset really wasn't recording the first time, so we had this weird one-way conversation where Jeremy was talking to himself. So we thought we'd do you guys a favor and and go ahead and give it another shot. (laughs) Even though I did tell you that I couldn't hear you clearly. No, and actually I still have the link conversation where you post in capitals, fine on my side. And I call you out and go, it works on my machine. And then you test your recording and it was crap. Yeah, pretty much. So this is like a deja vu. It's like, what's that film, Groundhog Day? That's right. Groundhog Day, yep. Probably not as funny as Groundhog Day, which is an epic film if you haven't watched that. (laughs) So, but at least now we'll just roll off our tongues and we'll do this intro as if it was just like even more natural than it usually is, right? Uh, Let's hope so. We'll see how it goes. So, um, we've had some groundbreaking news this week. Um, Sonia was super, super excited to borrow a very overused Microsoft quote uh, about the launch on Friday of the office dev show which is on channel nine uh we had our debut episode launch on friday uh day after the dev digest and the podcast comes out and um it's going to be a uh, bi-weekly show um which will have a bunch of people on it engineers but also have you on it as well which i'll let you talk about in a sec but the core bit i want to just congratulate kind of sonia on is that um, the first show, the Unified API kind of intro with Yina Arenas, who's a senior program manager over in um, the ODP team in Building 35, has already had 23,000 visitors uh, in four days. We actually had 22,000 when I checked yesterday after three days. Um, and so it was on the homepage of Channel 9. So it just goes to show that there's an audience out there that um, you know we, we we don't usually reach and now we'll be able to reach through this Channel 9 um, area where they kind of already go there for kind of their Azure Fridays with Scott Hanselman and um, there's a bunch of other cool guys. Corey, I forget Corey's last name. Corey does one as well, um, which is more like kind of developer focused on .NET. So um, yeah, it's good to be kind of up there as part of the other developer shows that we have on a, a regular cadence. But um, you you recorded one last week when you were in town, didn't you? That's right. Yeah. So I'm gonna. I, I think one of Sonia's. Uh, objectives, at least for the get-go. And we'll probably modify this over time as we get feedback from listeners. But, you know, we're going to kind of alternate between, you know, a a sit-down discussion with engineers with getting started in a particular area. So um, I'm going to kind of help kick off some of the getting started sessions with Sonia. And it'll be, you know, everything from, you know, we're even talking about doing like getting started with things like Python and PHP and AngularJS and, you know, whatever it is that developers are finding a popular platform, you know, we want to show that you can use the Office 365 APIs um, with this. So, you know, to me, this is a, um, I, I agree with you, Jeremy, I think this is really, really exciting news, you know, because, you know, Channel 9's had some really great shows in the past and to get one that's really dedicated to us, I think is is huge and it gives kind of that that two-pronged approach, right? You get, you know, we we try to have discussions with experts all over the the globe around Office 365 on this podcast. And, you know, this provides another uh, layer of of media to where, you know, I, I sometimes find videos are really helpful when I'm actually sitting in front of a, a computer trying to do something because, you know, whereas I can talk to something or I can type about it in my blog, when someone is actually clicking in front of my my vision where I can actually see it on the screen what they're clicking on. It's really hard to to make the wrong move sometimes. So I think it'll provide a, a really interesting facet to how we reach developers. Yeah, like every learning style is differently. I, Mike Fitz from Nintex actually has just been posting on Facebook. It was an article that I think Engadget posted up. Was it Engadget? Uh, oh, it was 9to5Mac actually that some ridiculous amount. It's like 82% of mobile podcast listening happens on the iPhone. 
It's like, what the hell are the Android guys doing not listening to podcasts? But I actually checked our stats and it's a very similar in actual fact. So um, people have different ways of learning and keeping up. People like Some people like reading, some people like visually watching, some like just jumping into hands-on labs and some like listening. And so, you know, our team has kind of gone out there over the last year and a bit to you know, we've prioritized on certain things first and we're finally getting around to having these kind of regular shows, not just for audio and podcasts, but also visually live in the studio too. And, um, you know, there's a lot of effort that goes into kind of doing these things and, um, you know, it's a lot of commitment on, on our team to get them done. But, you know, 22, 23,000 people in the first week definitely shows it's going to be worthwhile to keep that show going. So I'm really excited about that. So if you haven't watched it, um, get in, subscribe to the RSS or, you know, we'll mention the shows every week as, as we, we do them as well. And, and so our podcast goes out on a Thursday and Sonia's show goes out on a Friday. So, um, I'm going to get Sonia's permission to actually talk about what will be talked about on the Friday so that when we go out on Thursday, you'll know to look for it. Um, I don't, they're going to actually, it's your show. So what did you do in your, when you recorded last week? So um, again, kind of going to the spirit of getting started, what we, what we find is that a lot of times there's, there still is some confusion around uh, kind of the, the different approaches for office extensibility. So we, we decided to really kick off kind of that getting started series with, you know, explaining, you know, the difference between extending office, which has kind of been the traditional way of taking an existing office application like Word or Outlook or even SharePoint and being able to put your own customizations inside of that. And then talking a little bit about the API approach, which is I have my own application. It's standalone. It has really no dependencies on other things, but I might want to connect into some of the services. Maybe it's files, maybe it's calendar. And so we kind of talk about those and, and what the developer story looks like. And so it really tees up as we go into, all right, let's apply that now to a, a certain technology platform and, and see how we can make it happen. That's cool. And, um, yeah, so and you're going to be coming up again for Tech Ready next week, and I'm assuming you're going to be recording some more shows too, right? Yeah, that's the plan. Uh, hopefully go uh, hop in the studio and, and knock some out. So, uh, yeah. Too easy. Okay, and then so another one, which is something I've been kind of pro, you know doing since our, well, our financial year starts at the beginning of July, and so we have to have like new initiatives we're going to start. And one of the things I'm working on is around trying to build the awareness of what you can do with um, office addings and our APIs to people outside of the people we already reach. And so, um, as well as kind of what Sonia's doing, which is the kind of the getting started, the videos I'm putting together on the YouTube channel is more about just wetting people's uh, lips and getting them kind of hungry to try and want to go and get started by showing them what you can do. So we're doing this via demoing very short, you know, two and a half to five minute videos um, of add-ins that are in the store or SaaS applications that are in our store, um, leveraging our APIs, whether it's Office JS or our, you know, Office 365 APIs as well. And so we've already, I've already done um, LinkedIn. Uh, we've done the Bing Maps, both in PowerPoint and Excel, and also Poll Everywhere in PowerPoint. And, you know, I do demonstrations showing stuff in the browser, inside the desktop client in Windows, um, on the Mac desktop client, and um, also on the um, on the um, iPad as well. So the videos are really cool because it highlights the fact that you can build these add-ins once, but have them run everywhere. I've got a list of ones I've got to kind of do, and I'm trying to do one a day for the next few weeks so that we've got a big library of them. But the benefit there is, is that if you're a hackathon and you just need like a little bit of inspiration of what you can do with your API without kind of looking at the API reference documentation or downloading a ton of samples and trying to get them working to see, these videos are really like snack demos to let you know, you know, what's possible. And it's really was inspired by the fact that when I do a kickoff session with kind of the leaders in engineering at Builds and Ignites and our internal tech credits like I'm doing next week, um, I do a lot of these demos and I know you do reach as well when you go to ISVs. And so, you know, people can go and see these things, but they got to listen to a, an hour session. So we're just trying to make these really quick snack videos that people can share around on YouTube and show to their dev teams or to their customers or, you know, our field guys can go and use these as well. So I'm hoping that people find these useful and we've, we've put them on YouTube to make them really easy to share. 
So um, I'm going to try not to do all of them. So I will be leaning on you, Rich, to get some of these things done too. Yeah, these are good. I, I Hopefully most of our listeners have either seen one of Jeremy's Demo Fest sessions live or at the very least seen it on something like one of the, the recordings that are on Channel 9. Um, you know, it's 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 great to see all the great stuff that's already been been built. And here, you know, if you you might be trying to maybe get a project going internally and, and these might uh, be an inspiration to even help, you know, with funding and things like that to um, get things going internally with your organization. So lots of good stuff out there. And uh, like Jeremy said, lots of things to help spark some ideas. And, it, and it's a lot le- less pressure recording one in silo than trying to get on stage and do 16 in an hour. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more calm, although it is kind of like I try and I'm going to try and do them in the mornings because I keep like bumping them off and looking at my inbox and trying to clean my inbox out rather than doing these. So today I, I've actually done one already this morning. The um, the blogosphere has been good. We uh, ha- had a healthy amount of posts this week. Uh, Chris O'Brien, as usual, gold, um, talking about automated testing with provider-hosted apps um, and, and kind of debugging SharePoint errors in the add-in model. And one of the cool things about that was that he has walked through some of the common issues he's had with building SharePoint add-ins and how he mitigates those things and some of the common errors he sees when he's deploying things to his development environment, you know, on a frequent basis and how to clean up some of those problems that he sees. And our engineering teams are aware of those as well and they're working on them, but it's great to kind of have those things shared from an experience perspective for Chris. So that was really cool. Um, have you, did you get a chance to read that post this week, Rich? Yeah, I did. You know, this is one of those things that, that I've, I've run into many of the things that, that Chris talks about here. I mean, there's so many, you know, when you get into all these moving parts, we try to make it as easy as possible with things like the, you know, SharePoint context utils and, and token helper and things like that. But, you know, on occasion you, you might run into some, some roadblocks and he shows some really great tips for, you know, using tools like Fiddler for being able to see what's going on. And, you know, I remember, I remember the first time I ended up having a, an app secret expire because those aren't good forever. Just like, you know, in your corporate environment, you probably require to change your password on occasion. We we do the same thing with things like app secrets. And so the first time that happened to me, I was like, what's going on here? And so, you know, it's good to have, um, you know, good documentation and and, um, uh, blog posts like Chris has put together here to illustrate how you go through debugging some of those common issues you might have. Yeah, so that's a really good, and to be honest, everything Chris writes is really, really good. So if you're not following me, you should be, Um, but that's a great kind of helpful, helpful post. The, um, the other one that uh, would come up was around Kirk Evans had done a bunch of stuff helping some of the people in the community around um, debugging provide hosted apps uh, using PowerShell in actual fact. And so uh, myfatblog.co.uk, uh, he, he, Paul's put together this um, bunch of snippets for when you're setting up SharePoint on-prem, there's a ton of stuff you have to do with PowerShell to kind of get that to work. And uh, and then troubleshooting, it can be a bit of a problem. And so um, he's actually got this thing of like building out tokens with a bunch of strings and concatenating those and creating those tokens and then using those to then call and make a request uh, with that finished token uh, in the header of a PowerShell call using just a system.net web request. It's pretty cool how is how it's working, and um, he's done a good job of walking through exactly what you need to kind of get that running as well. So if you, if you are intrigued by PowerShell like I am, but never really know how to use it, um, that's a good walkthrough, and it's a useful way of being able to kind of craft a token and and use that um, to kind of test that in isolation of whatever else you've got going there too, which is cool. So that that was another good article this week. And then Stefan Bauer actually put together a neat uh, article on essentially using a grid system called SUSY, SUSY, S-U-S-Y. You can tell I'm not a CSS web developer, but um, it's a cool little article with a bunch of really good screenshots on how you can do kind of layout inside of SharePoint pages that is responsive uh, and kind of some guides there on how you can do that in a very easy way. Um, by overriding CSS and including that in your master pages. Or, sorry, not in your master pages. I think he does it with um, the alternate CSS stuff too. 
Um, but he says they do need to be defined in core v15 as well so there's a few little tweaks you need to make but that will make your site responsive so it's definitely doing some really good stuff around css it's a dot arc to me um i seem to get so close to having it all running exactly how i want but there's always a pixel out what's your experience with css rich do i have to come to you for that or are you as bad as i am i can get things working um i'll, I'll tell you that like the f12 developer tools are invaluable uh, whether you're in Chrome or IE or, or whatnot, being able to use the picker, pick an element, tweak it in the, the developer tools, and then go and, and apply that into the the, mass, the CSS file that you're working in. My biggest problem is, is I can, I can get everything functioning and I'll start a, a CSS file off really organized, but as I get far into a project, I start to get kind of lazy and start just throwing classes anywhere. And so it starts to get harder to read and harder to find things later on. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's good stuff. I'll, I'll tell you here that Stefan, you know, this is, I, I've learned through my own blog, there are a few topics in, in the Office developer community that if you want a lot of readers, uh, you do something around branding and responsiveness or, yeah, yeah right. I mean, it, it, it gets the reader. So I'm sure he'll get a, a lot of viewership uh, by the nod here because uh, it's a, certainly a popular topic. Yeah, the other one's... Um with Angular at the minute as well, it seems to be the big one. So the, and in actual fact, as I hop onto that, uh, Joe Martello, who's actually works in our content publishing team internally, he shipped the Art Curator Angular sample, which is a an all up sample showing uh, the mail API integration. And there's an Android, an iOS, and a, uh, a Windows phone version of that sample as well. But um, he's shipped this sample and he's got really good readme on how to get this Angular sample running. Uh, just using Visual Studio Code and there's a dependency on having Node.js server running on your machine as well. But it's really neat because it walks through kind of grabbing the client ID in secret and then actually integrating those things uh, d directly into uh, your Angular single page application and having a good like kind of view of your profile in Office 365 and looking at other people in your org. So that's a cool little sample. Um, and actually on an, an update, I know we talked about in the in intro last week, I had a meeting with the Studio Code guys. They're doing some really cool stuff and I can't wait till they can share some of their new announcements around that uh, moving up in the fall. But um, we're going to work with them on a Yeoman generator that allow you to do kind of NPM generator dash office and then just do a Yo space office and it will pull down the scaffolding for an office add-in directly into your Visual Studio Code um, current directory. Um, we're hoping that we'll also be able to do things like grab the client ID in secret and then lay that into the config.js and then also have a command that then runs your server using you know node server.js but then also allows you to then open up a browser and start debugging your Office add-in directly, you know, inside your environment, dev environment using Visual Studio Code. And what we, the intention there is, is that we reduce you from having to download Visual Studio um, 2015, which GA'd yesterday. You know, it's a big, you know, three, four gig download, three hours to install, uh, and then file a new project to a 50 meg install. And, um, you know, straight away, npm space generator dash office and then yo space office and you're up and away so um, we really want to try and make it as smooth as possible for web developers when we go out to various hackathons we're actually going to be at angular connect in london in october doing a hackathon there and also at dev intersections in amsterdam we're going to be doing a hackathon uh, with the asp.net web developers there too so really going after these new crowds to try and get them aware of what's able to be done and get them excited and hopefully getting them building stuff for their customers and you know to push into the office store as well so um i know you've done a fair bit with angular as well rich yeah you know i pretty much everything i do now on the web is is angular um you know i've found that um it, it just it's so incredibly fast to put things together and kind of brings together the the best of what I used to do on the web. You know, I used to do a, I'd come up with a good visual and I'd create like a user control for it. And, you know, being able to do things like custom directives um, really kind of plays to that. And it's easy to, you know, test and all kinds of great plugins for it. And so, yeah, I mean, it's pretty much my web story these days. Um, I'll start with the MVC project, but pretty much from there, um, I just use you know, .NET for like the web API layer. Yeah, it's been interesting because this, that one, that sample and the 
Angular Connect Curator, Art Curator are actually all client side only using cores. Um, but I've been having a lot of discussions that a lot of Angular developers kind of do this mismatch of some server side and some client side to kind of kind of work from a security perspective, IP protection perspective um, as well. There, so we, we, this sample is great because it's all client side. But we, you know, we're looking at having a that Visual Studio Code Yeoman generator kind of give you the option of having a client side back end uh, and a server side back end as well with when you do the scaffolding, which is cool. And then two new areas. I've been digging into Office add-ins quite a bit, and I'm trying to find the community and find out who's out there, who's been blogging for us in this space, tweeting in this space, who comes to the MVP summits, and who's been building samples and whatnot. And there's a really good um, blog here by the Wordmeister. A um, little bit of feedback. If you're doing a blog and you don't have your profile photo, Twitter handle, LinkedIn profile, on your homepage of your blog, I think you're really doing yourself injustice. I have zero clue who this person is. And I was scrolling through their blog post trying to find out like some information around them and it's almost impossible. It's actually impossible because I don't know who they are. But they've got some really good blog posts around um, VBA development and web development in general. And they've started to write this journey, a part series around, you know, like JavaScript for VBA developers and kind of handholding those people from VBA over to the Office um, add-in space, which obviously uses JavaScript and HTML. And so that's pretty cool to see their thoughts and opinions on that. And they work very closely with engineering as well. So if you're in that space, it's definitely worth listening to. And we'll be doing a lot more around Office add-ins on this podcast because it's an area... Um, from my perspective, I'll be focusing on a lot this year. So that was pretty cool. And I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting all those guys at Summit this year when they come up too. And then lastly, um, as I have asked and requested on the show, if you feel like I'm not mentioning your blog post, you can reach out to me. Um, and so Jonathan Haas, who is a premier field engineer. Now, they're pretty deep in the weeds working with customers on a bunch of things that... Um, you know, I had zero knowledge about because it's in the, the inner inklings of the products that they have to troubleshoot with their customers. You, you've never been a PFE, right, Rich? You came over from the... The, the Microsoft Technology Centers. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never, yeah, never been a PFE. I mean, these guys can, you know, open up a ULS log and they'll, they'll tell you exactly what every line in it means. So uh, that's not me. <laughs> um, and these guys are, are phenomenal. And there's a, a, a long history of strong PFEs in the Office and SharePoint space. So good to see uh, another one kind of poking his head out here with some good good content. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and so what uh, Jonathan's done is, is I, he said, like, just check, check out my blog and see what you think is worthy. And I, so I added his RSS feed to my Feedly. Again, if you haven't got your RSS on your homepage of your blog, you're doing yourself some injustice. Um, and he's put together this part series on building a SharePoint online chat room with SignalR and Azure. And, um, and it's really cool. Like it walks through from like grassroots, what he was trying to achieve and how he's leveraged SignalR and um, the tech stack is used with Visual Studio. So that was really exciting to kind of get, get that and see that going. So um, thanks, Jonathan, for reaching out to me. And I'd encourage anyone else to do the same thing with this too. And so lastly, definitely worth mentioning, if you were in a cave as a developer and didn't realize that Visual Studio 2015 launched on Monday of this week, um, it was launched. And if you went to visualstudio.com, uh, there's a great set of videos, including one by yours truly, where already there is a tweet stream of hashtags of um, that Tobias Zimmergreen put together around um, caption this image. And of course, what's he done? He screen grabbed me with my hands in a weird pose and my eyes all looking in this weird direction. And there's been some quite humorous tweets around that. I will actually include it in the in the tweets, uh, in the show notes, because it is quite funny. But um, visualstudio.com, there's a bunch of videos based on the announcements this week. Um, and you can go and watch uh, the kind of the keynote with Beth Massey and Scott Hanselman, um, as well as all the individual videos to kind of that highlight the, the different features that, hap- uh, that we've shipped, as well as some cool Q&As with some of the engineers that are involved in this too. So that's, it's been exciting to see that go on this week, I must admit. Um, Visual Studio team do a really good job with their their live events. Did you we did you get a chance to watch the keynote, or are you too busy, Rich? I didn't have a chance. I'm I'm gonna go back and and check it out. I'm uh, trying to prepare my. You know, this is the I think I mentioned it last week. Pretty exciting time at Microsoft because we 
you know, are, are releasing this kind of new wave of, of uh, capabilities and, and products. So um, it's that time of the year to get onto the, the, what we call the RTM versions of software. So getting on the final version of Windows 10, which is, I believe it's going to be on, uh, released next week. And then um, Visual Studio, obviously, this week was was released. So I've been prepping my machine to uh, um, be able to convert. You know, I keep all my files in the cloud, but uh, I don't keep all of my Visual Studio projects in, in Git or Visual Studio Online. Like Jeremy I know you don't, Rich. Give me a hard time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have like I have like something like five gigabytes of, of projects. You know, some of that is um, NuGet packages that got pulled down. But um, anyway, I have to organize that every time I re-image and, and back it up somewhere. So, yes. Okay, well, then we can roll into the pod, code, pod show. So this show, just to give some context, um, Sunrise, I'd never heard of it until we acquired it. Um, and I've used it ever since on my iPhone. It's a really cool way of integrating all my calendars along with things like my TV shows and my New York Rangers games for next season, Seattle Seahawks games for next season, and most importantly, when the US public holidays are, because I've been here four years and I always bloody forget when they are and end up not being smart and taking them off or planning four-day weekends. So Sunrise saves me on various occasions for that. Um, And this was talking about the fact that originally they were using the calendar in entries that were natively on the device, whether it's Android or iOS, and they've shifted now to use the Office 365 calendar API. And so I wanted to get him on the show to talk about that and that experience and how he learned how to call the APIs and stuff. So he's a whiz engineer and um, it was really great that he jumped on the show and he was a good sport when I teased him a little bit about the French versus the English thing too. So um, I appreciate him coming on. And again, Rich, thanks for recording this twice. Uh, I'm pretty sure you owe me a beer next week for this. <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> we'll, we'll call it the Groundhog Beer. That's what we'll do. That's right. Um, and um, yeah, I look forward to catching up with you next week when you're in town, dude. Sounds good. Sweet. Well, enjoy the show, everybody, and we'll uh, see you next week. Okay, welcome to the show, Pierre. Thank you. Is it? Am I correct in calling you Pierre? I know you've kind of... Is Pierre... Is it Ellie? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's Pierre Ellie. Yeah, yeah, you say it a lot better than I do. Um, so whereabouts are you? Where, whereabouts are you right now? Uh, where am I? Yeah, I'm in Paris in the Sunrise office in Paris. We have two main offices: New York and Paris. Are you, are you actually from um, Paris or? Yes, I am. Whereabouts do you live in the city? Where do I live? Yeah, there's a few cool areas there, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm, I live in the center near the office. Right, and so you can kind of crawl out of bed and just fall into the office. Exactly. <laughs> when there is an outage, I'm there. <laughs> and so you, you work at Sunrise, which is uh, Microsoft acquired. It seems like a long time ago now, but it wasn't that, it's not been that long, right? Uh, it's been announced in February. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and for those that aren't aware, like I was using it prior to the acquisition and i was really happy when um, we found out that we'd acquired it. But what what does Sunrise do? So Sunrise is a calendar connecting um, many sources. Uh, we began with this Google, with Gmail, um, but we added iCloud and now Office, Office 365 and Outlook, but also some services that you wouldn't see in a calendar otherwise. Um, like Asana, Trello, other productivity apps, but also entertainment apps like uh, Songkick for your concerts, um, Tribit for your plane tickets, and uh, recently RunKeeper will add RunKeeper for your fitness activities. So it's kind of like one calendar to rule them all, almost. Exactly. Everything that is time-related should be in Sunrise. So... With your work, and we, we've spoken to the Zapier guys a fair bit, I guess you spend a lot of the time poking around in APIs and pulling data out of these systems like RunKeeper and Tripid and iCloud and um, Office 365. Yeah, poking APIs is my life. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when, you, when you first did this, um, I'm guessing with Sunrise, how long has the company been around? How long have you had apps in the stores? I think Sunrise began in maybe April 2013. I'm at Sunrise, it's been two years now. Um, and from the beginning, the idea was to connect to many APIs, but it really began yep. uh, maybe one year after the inception of Sunrise. And what platforms can I get the, the app on? So it began on iOS, iOS only, then the web application um, came out 
uh, soon followed by the Android app. And if so, for the web app, what's the um, the URL for that for those guys that want to come and try it? It's sunrise.am. Ah, that's very clever. Yeah, the .com was taken and <laughs> you know too expensive. What's am? What country is that? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty neat. Oh, you know what? I didn't even know you could do that with the web. That's really nice. And it's pulled in all of my Facebook calendar and um, it's even picked up all of my TripIt stuff too. Yeah. I may have logged into this with my iPhone in the same same login. So really it just kind of gives you that, that view of all your calendars. A little bit like what Outlook does, but I'm guessing you do a little bit more. Um, I know you integrate with Todoist, which is the to-do um, service that I use for all my tasks. And so it kind of, it can show you your tasks on the calendar as well, a little bit like how Outlook tasks work too. Yes, we want to integrate more tasks, um, but this is a big deal. So for now, we, we just integrate them as events, but uh, we hope to do way better in, in the future. And so part of this challenge, when you first did integration into Exchange um, from the perspective of getting our calendar, what APIs were you actually using? Uh, you mean at first when Exchange was available on iOS and Android? Yeah, yeah. So when I arrived at Sunrise, my first task was to actually connect to Exchange via our server. Um, but it required storing the user email and password, and we were not confident with handling user passwords um, for obvious reasons. So what we did is... We connect to the native um, SDKs on iOS and Android for Exchange calendars. So we do not handle actually the the Exchange calendars and we rely on the underlying OS. Oh, so you were actually like looking at whatever was on the calendar app on my iPhone and, and gr grabbing the content from there. Exactly, yeah. Could that be quite problematic? I mean, I've noticed sometimes Sunrise wouldn't actually sync properly in that instance um, that probably explains why right it is because we don't we do not actually control the sync uh, when we connect to the SDK of the of the OS yeah and we cannot do whatever we want like storing additional information we have we have um, for the location for the place of the event we try to enhance it with a map and with a full address we cannot do that obviously if we only rely on the OS calendars and we cannot integrate with more advanced features like our Meet features, uh, which requires a connection from the server. What's the Meet feature? What does that do? So the Meet feature is to organize a one-to-one -one with, with someone. You send a link um, to propose a few times that work for you, and the, your attendee selects the, the one that suits him, um, and the event is immediately created. So it's... A streamlined way to organize a one-to-one. -one. Yeah, I think I've actually seen um, there was a blog post we did recently on that uh, on blogs.office.com, I believe, with a video. Probably, yeah. Yeah, it's a neat way of kind of finally getting people to agree on when you actually want to meet, rather than kind of doing the whole um, propose new time decline type workflow that kind of Outlook does out of the box. Yes, exactly. And for people not using Outlook, it's to avoid really long emails and back and forth in emails and messages. So with that, I mean, when obviously we acquired you, I'm sure you got to go and meet, the team you work with the most must be the Outlook team, I'm imagining. Yes. With like Jason Henderson and, and Venkat, who we've had on the show before. Yep. Um, and and I'm, I'm betting, and the reason we probably, you know, we got you on the show is that Venkat was like, great, we can get you using our new APIs that we've we've shipped into um, general availability in October of last year. And, you know, can you can you start using our calendar API? So is that kind of the journey you guys went on? Yes, for us, it was about using new technologies with Earth, um, as I said before, because we didn't, the reason why we didn't implement Exchange server-side was because of the credentials we needed. So all, all services use Earth on, on our side and we were, really eager to use Oath for everything Outlook related. And um, the obvious technology for us was the REST API, which is JSON and HTTP uh, with Oath. It was perfect for us. And and so when you tackled this, had you had you done Oath before with other endpoints, either services? I'm imagining things like TripIt and stuff or natively supported that, right? Yes, basically... Mm, Maybe ninety percent of the services we integrate have OAuth. And so, by already knowing OAuth, was it relatively easy then to start connecting to our calendar API? Or so OAuth is um, 
is a specification, but it actually groups a lot of specifications and you have some kind of freedom when you implement it. Every, almost every OAuth implementation is different. And the one from Office 365 is a bit different, especially when we, you are like us, a first party app inside the Microsoft um, ecosystem. So being a third party app, at first we, we started like that. Um, it was a matter of documentation. It can be spread out uh, even for authentication and Creating app credentials can be a little challenging when you don't already know the, the whole Office 365 environment about tenants and all that. Um, and then for first party app, it's a, it's a whole other challenge because it uses another flow, other credentials and stuff. And so from a tenant perspective, and you know, we're, we're very open on the challenges we have, what kind of things did you find troublesome when you were spinning those things up, having kind of zero knowledge of this um, prior? We really had zero knowledge. So for us, the, the simple fact that what is a tenant, it was a, a question. I, I didn't know what it was. <laughs> and okay, I'm a tenant, but I'm a tenant and I create an application, but do people from other tenants can connect to my application? Do I have to, sim a simple thing like, do I have to put my tenant ID in the authentication URL or does it have to be the tenant ID of the user connecting my application? Um, simple question like that, but uh, it was it was not straightforward in the documentation. So that was a little challenge. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, you, I know you've given a lot of that feedback back, so I appreciate you kind of letting the guys know that that, that was a challenge. I think part of it has come from the fact that, you know, we've, we've brought together all these products over time and building this service and we've had all these inside Microsoft notions that don't make any sense at all outside of our walls. So it's always kind of good to rehear that and, and, and get that feedback back to the guys in terms of how we talk about these things externally. Yeah, you definitely have the feel that uh, it's a lot of pieces that have been brought together and being mutated into something that will finally make sense in a, in a short term. Let's hope so. I mean, I think the APIs and the way we're going with the unified API is the first step towards that. Like we don't think about products anymore, having an exchange endpoint and the SharePoint endpoint. We have that unified endpoint, which has got mail calendar contacts. So it's more about the kind of the endpoints and, and what they do than it is about what products are running it. Yeah. I mean, I know our existing development teams that I talk to out there in the community, they think that way because they've come from a SharePoint development background or they've come from a exchange development background. But, you know, for yourselves, you know, you don't have that notion of what's running what. You just want to be able to get at the calendar. And so that's kind of why we've moved down that path with a unified API. Yeah, it looks promising. And so, you know, what you're doing from a, a calendar perspective, the, the sync side of things, I, I would imagine that you're pushing this API pretty hard um, with regards to, you know, if Summarize makes a change, it's got to push that change back to the service. But then if, you know, for instance, I'm in Outlook on my desktop and I make a change to the calendar because I'm accepting invites and emails, that's making a change to the service. And then Summarize has got to update. So how are you, how are you handling that in the background? Is there a a change log that you can call? Like, what was the process you were using there? So at first, there was no sync um, sync mechanism in the calendar APIs, in the calendar REST uh, APIs. Um, it was kind of designed for people who wanted to display your events in a week, for example. And so you could pick a time or something like that. It was easy to create an event, but the synchronization mechanism wasn't just there. Um, but... We pushed harder about this, uh, obviously, because we sync four years worth of events on the on the user device. So everything works offline and searches fast and stuff like that. So it took maybe, I would say, a month and a half or two months to have something in production. Um, and then just some issues arose, but in the end, we have something that works quite well, and uh, we have sync states. And when the event refreshes the calendar, we just get the the new events, the updated events, the deleted events, and uh, it works well. And additionally to that, the team just before we started working on that uh, was thinking about adding webhooks. So as soon as there is a change 
on the Office 365 side, we get a notification and we can push the change directly to the user in real time. So that's great. So, so you're actually using those webhooks right now? Yeah, we do. Cool. So that so for those on the call, the, the, the notion of the webhooks, do you want to just explain how you're using those? Like what, what's the what they're actually kind of helping you do? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> the way Sunrise works without webhooks is that the client application um, fetches new events or updates every hour or so. It depends on the configuration of the, of, the, of the app. But what we want to do is tell the client app to refresh as soon as the change is available. So on the server, what we do is we subscribe to channels. So we subscribed to changes in the user calendar. Uh, we provide a URL, which is our server. And when a change happens on the Office 365 side, so for example, you're on Outlook, the desktop app, and you add an event to your calendar, then Office 365 REST pings our URL, so our server, and we know there is a change on your calendar, and we can tell the client app, which is Sunrise, to update, and it will get the the new event uh, in a matter of seconds. Yeah, that's really cool. Yes, it is. So we, we so this the webhooks. Are you using that with other services that you're working on outside of the, the Microsoft Calendar APIs? Um, not many services have webhooks. Um, yeah, Google Calendar has them. Um, Trello has them, and I think Fundalist. Yeah. Okay. So, so what we actually call them in the documentation is um, notifications, which are, is currently in, it's currently in preview. Um, but the documentation is all up there on our, our Office three six five API reference. So if you go to dev.office.com and a documentation. In the API reference there, if you scroll down on that page, um, you can actually see the Outlook notifications there. And when you go in there, it's very straightforward to use in terms of subscribing. And then, as you say, it, it calls back to your service. So your service does have to be online um, for it to be able to call call your service. So then you, you make some changes on that too. Yes. So from, from a hosting perspective with Sunrise, um, you know, I mean, I would imagine there's quite a few users using Sunrise, and so you've got quite a bit of activity going on in the back end. How how are you scaling that? Like, what what have you got one service endpoint that that Exchange Online will call, or um, are, are you kind of scaling that in a way that you can cope with the amount of calls that as as calendar events change? So we have one endpoint that. Um... Outlook, Outlook will call for notifications, for example. Yeah. But this is this is scaled. Uh, this is routed to many servers uh, on our end. It's everything is in the cloud, and it's just instances that are stateless. And if we have more traffic, we just launch more instances, and there is no sharding or anything. It's just a routing based on on load. It's load balancing, really load balancing one one. And and do you do you keep multiple? like endpoints running for each of the services that call you. So for instance, if um, the other services are supporting webhooks, you don't get them to call all of your, ser like the same service endpoints. Yes, definitely. So what we do is um, for each service, we have an app, which is a, a set of servers. So we can scale uh, in them independently different services. If we have a lot of load, a lot of users using Outlook, we can scale it up and not as many will use um, Songkick, for example. So we can have just one small server for Songkick. So right. every every service has its own pool of servers and we scale them independently. So that works quite well. And then fr from there, in terms of the webhooks, I mean, that's obviously a core thing that you're using out of the box. But are there other like aspects of the API that you've you've had to use? I mean, are you using the paging, like when when I click through my calendar in calendar.sunrise.am, is that is that all that data stored in your service, and then you're just relying on the sync to keep that data inside your service up to date? Or is it dynamically pulling from Exchange online every time? It's not dynamically pulling, but it's not on our service neither. Um, what our clients do is they, when you connect Office 365 to Sunrise, it is starting to fetch all your events for four years, uh, one year in the back and three years in the future. And everything is stored on your device or in your browser uh, locally. 
So when you click next week, it actually just fetches events in the local database. And from that, we keep the local database in sync with the Outlook um, database with the sync mechanism. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And and so and when you say local database, you're like if I'm on my iPhone, are you saying you're storing all the data locally on your phone, and then you're syncing back to your Sunrise service? Yes, exactly. Right, and then you're doing sync, so get doubling onto that to then to all the different services. Uh, no, we we don't keep data on Sunrise servers. So that your data is only on your device and on the third-party service. All right. So actually, when you're on Sunrise and you create a new event, for example, in Office 365, it creates an event in your local database on your device. So you have it on your device and it triggers a sync. And the sync is going to contact Sunrise servers that will immediately contact Office 365 servers to notify them of the change. Uh, but the change is not committed on our servers. It's just we our servers are just proxies to the third party. Yeah, that makes sense because otherwise it would get a little bit crazy in terms of the chattiness, right? Yeah. And so, what, what what's the future direction here with Summarize? Will you just continue to add additional calendars and um, information points here, or um, this is one direction uh, of expanding Sunrise? Um, we want to launch a platform which would enable any developer to add a new service to Sunrise. So for now, we've added big services, you know, um, really famous services that wouldn't uh, that a lot of users might might use. But there is a long tail of apps and services that obviously we don't have time and resources to implement ourselves. But uh, we want to provide a, a platform that would enable them to in a really, really simple way to integrate data into Sunrise so their users could connect their service to Sunrise directly. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, like I, I tend to use it a lot. It sounds pretty sad, but from the, the TV to let me know when the show, my favorite shows are on so I don't miss them. But also I have it for all my sports teams yeah. as well so I can see when the New York Rangers are playing and the Seattle Seahawks, which are finally back in September after having quite a big off season. So it's kind of cool to be able to see that all integrated in your one calendar as well, which is neat. Yeah, definitely. And you could imagine, um, for example, we have a, a partner that wants to integrate your credit card bills in your calendar. So um, you could just connect the service and see in Sunrise your credit card bills when they're due or when you have a credit card promotion or something. Uh, that's neat. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it. And um, I guess just to come back on one thing, because we, we do know that this is one of the biggest I guess hurdles for a developer when they're first leveraging APIs. From an auth perspective, when you first learned that, what resources did you use to get your head around it, and what tools did you use to uh, troubleshoot and debug the first few times you were connecting to it? Is there any kind of tips you can share with people as kind of this API guru that you are? Um, so that people who are kind of just starting to dip their toe in calling APIs through the through the OAuth way, is there anything you can kind of ha give us advice or guidance? Yeah, sure. It helps to to actually see the um, the requests you make, the HTTP requests you make. So I use a lot Charles Charles Proxy, um, which is. Um, a program that will just show you every request going in and out of your computer or of your selected program. Right. And that way, not only because when you create, when you craft a request being OAuth or whatever uh, to request an API in your language or in your program, you don't actually see usually the HTTP request that is issued, but everything is a matter of IO, it's in and out. So Charles actually gives you the ability to actually check what goes on the network. So I use that a lot. So it looks very, I've not heard of that one before, but it looks very similar to what, what like Fiddler does, for instance, or Wireshark. Yes. That's cool. It's a little bit higher level than Wireshark, but I think it's similar to Fiddler. I haven't used Fiddler myself, but I think it's kind of the same. Yeah, cool. I'm not aware of that one. I have to give that one a go. And in terms of um, you know documentation, the specs, do you find that's useful? Is there resources you use around kind of do you dig into the Jot tokens at all to see in detail like what's going on there, or are you just more interested in the traffic that's c coming and going to see the dance? Um, I'm usually more interested in the traffic, um, but for the Jot, I try not. 
it's not really supposed to be something that you explore, um, especially with Office 365. You get a token. Uh, if you decode it, it means something, but you're not really supposed to, to know what it means. It's for Office 365 to understand. So you can get glimpses of your information, but don't really rely on them. You shouldn't. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cool. Well, um, I really appreciate your time on the show. I th I'm hoping that your listeners found that interesting. And um, for those of you that haven't tried Sunrise, I, I definitely recommend it. Like I have it on all of my devices. Um, and I actually use the web browser view a fair part um, over um, my Outlook because it, goes, it gives me all those overlays in, in a nice, a simple way for my, my important parts of my non-work life with TV shows and sports. <laughs> um, when are you next in uh, Redmond? Have you got any plans to come over? come back over here um not right now maybe after the summer yeah it'd be good to catch up with you in person um or i can always swing by paris it's, um yeah sure it's funny it's a city that uh coming from england I, I you know it was one of those things where you go there and people because you're you're british tend to be a little bit kind of they treat you differently to everybody else and then living in australia for 10 years and coming back to the Paris city, I found that people were way more friendly to me than they were when they thought I was British. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't even bait, bait you into it. <laughs> but um, no, it's a beautiful city and I, I love going back there. I was there two years ago and um, if, for people who are listening who haven't been, it's just a city you have to go to. It's just so different to everywhere else in the world. Where's your favorite place to eat in Paris? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, it's not to eat, actually. It's to get cocktails at, at a nice place in the Marais. But they have good food, too. Oh, really? Okay, you might have to send me the link so I add it to the show notes so people can go find it. I will. And then they can look out for you, look out for you at the bar. So many American people there also. Re really? So I'm not sure everybody needs the link. They all know it. <laughs> Great. Well, I really appreciate you um, taking your time out of your uh, schedule to explain how you guys are going with that stuff and um, keep up the good work. And uh, if you ever get to Redmond again in the near future, please uh, ping me and we can catch up for a... I'll, I'll take you to a good cocktail place here in Seattle. Oh, cool. Great. Well, thanks very much, mate, and have a good rest of the day. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.